Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Job, chapter 34. And the last two verses we read were, were verse 14 and 15. It says, If he set his heart upon man, if he gather unto himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh shall perish together, and man shall turn again to dust. Unto dust. And we taught about that last week, that if God would take his breath back, that all flesh, all animal creation, all everything that has life, including man, would perish altogether because God is the source of all life for all beings. And we pick up with verse 16 in our uh, lesson tonight. And that's Job 34, verse 16. If now thou hast understanding, hear this, hearken to the voice of my word. Shall even he that hateth right govern? And wilt thou condemn him that is most just? You see, Job had been complaining to God about uh, the things that had happened to him. And uh, Elihu is saying, you know, that God must be just because he's the one that governs. And, you know, anyone that governs is to be just in their dealings. And surely God, governing everything, he must be just. So it says, Shall even he that hateth right govern? And wilt thou condemn him that is most just? Certainly God is just, isn't it? Is it fit to say to a king, Thou art wicked? And to princes, you're ungodly. In other words, it would be a gross outrage, wouldn't it, to reproach an earthly king. Well, certainly, if God is greater than all kings and more just than all leaders and rulers, it says in verse 19, how much less to him that accepteth not the persons of princes. No one pays him off. He's not in the political realm, is he? He is the righteous judge of everything, nor regardeth the rich more than the poor, for they are all, all are the works of his hands, work of his hands. God has made everything, and God is not any respecter of persons, and therefore God doesn't have to be swayed one way or another. This might be good for our politicians up there, you know, these little groups that want their things done, and uh, lobbying groups up in Washington. And they're all there for a purpose. They want to get what they want out of the situation. Well, see, God's not swayed by what men want. He's the just and right governor, and he can take things as, and uh, minister justice and judgment as it ought to be. And we're looking forward to a kingdom that will be like that. When Jesus comes and rules and reigns in the millennium, then all of these wrongs and all of these mis, uh, injustices and all of these things that we think of now that, uh, that we don't like... Uh, as far as injustice is concerned, uh, God is going to straighten out and everything is going to be right because the Lord himself is going to reign in righteousness and in judgment. So uh, Elihu is saying, uh, certainly we wouldn't say that a certain monarch or king, we wouldn't reproach him saying that he is not uh, just in his dealings. Well, if we wouldn't do that to earthly kings, what right would we have to cry out to God and say he's unjust in his dealings with us. We have no right whatsoever, do we? Okay, verse uh, 20. It says, uh, In a moment they die. He's talking about the princes or the rich that uh, are the works of his hands, those that he accepts, not the persons of men. In a moment they die, shall they die, and the people shall be troubled and pass away, and the mighty shall be taken away without hand. Let's see, I didn't read all that. In a moment shall they die, and the people shall be troubled at midnight. 
or with a night attack, an attack in the middle of the night, they'll be uh, seized and pass away and the mighty shall be taken away without hand. Verse 21, For his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth all his goings. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. Look at that, those two verses together. In fact, these are two good, good verses to memorize. For his eyes are upon the ways of man, he's, and he seeth all his goings. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. This shows us that God looks down upon us and he sees everything. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord upon the ways of man, beholding the evil and the good in another place. Beholding the evil and the good. He sees whether it's good or bad. His eyes are upon the ways of man, and he sees all his goings, and he knows whether they're evil or good. And there's no hiding place. We have a scripture in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4 and verse 12. The Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to, to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit. A very fine distinction of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And it says, neither, verse 13 says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. See, God sees everything, and you know, we don't hide anything from God. We may hide it from one another, brother, sister, father, mother, children, parents, whatever, husband or wife, but you don't hide it from God. And when we realize that, if we will realize that, We'll realize that we have to keep our lives right before God because it's before God that we live. We, you say, well, we live before men. Yes, we live before men, but the real issue is how we are before God because sometimes men misunderstand. They look only on the outward appearance, don't they? But where does God look? God looketh upon the heart. So, verse 23, For he will not lay upon man more than right that he should enter into judgment with God. God will not do anything other than that which is right. Someone says, well, why did Job have to suffer so then? It's probably because Job knew that he was righteous. And it's probably that God wanted him to see, not, not that he was not righteous before men, and not that he didn't try to do right, but he wanted him to see him face to face and realize that in spite of the fact that we try to do right, that we still all have sin. That Job had sin as well. He was a perfect and upright man, that's mature, upright, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, or shunned evil. That's true. And that was God's testimony concerning Job. You say, well, why then did all this happen? Well, even in the best of men, there's sin. And uh, he wanted Job to be in such a condition that he would say, Lord, I know that I, even though I try to do the very best I can, yet in your sight I'm still nothing. And I'm still a sinner. And he wanted him to be humbled in his sight. And therefore, God permitted the chastening that came upon Job. And we've already said that his three friends had misjudged him and misunderstood him. And they accused him of things he was not guilty of. But you know, when you face God, it's a different story, isn't it? It's a different story altogether. He says in verse 23, For he will not lay upon man more than right, that he should enter into judgment with God. He shall break in pieces mighty men without number and set others in their stead. Look at that. He's going to break in pieces mighty men, and doesn't make any difference how many, without number, and set others in their stead. And God is able to do that, and He does. One of these days, you'll see that 
all these wicked dictators over the world, you put someone else in their place. Even though Saddam Hussein, he'll be off the scene one of these days and some other guy either a little better or more wicked than him. But God will permit someone else to take his place one of these days. And we don't know when. And we don't know why God permits it to be so long. If you In the book of Daniel, let me read a verse for you. Chapter 2 of Daniel, verse 21. And he changeth the times and the seasons. Now look. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. See? He removeth kings and setteth up kings. And it doesn't mean that he always setteth up kings that are good. In his providence, he permits kings to be set up that are wicked because they work for his purpose. It'll all work out for God's uh, glory and for our good eventually. You see, we don't understand all the dealings of God and the purpose of God. God is sovereign in his actions and he has everything under complete control, whether we understand it or not. And it's just like it said earlier, there's no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. He shall break in pieces mighty men, look at verse 24, without number, and set others in their stead. In verse 25, therefore he knoweth their works. God knows all things, doesn't he? He knoweth their works. See, God is all-knowing. God is all-seeing. We've already said in verse 21 and 22, he's all-seeing. He sees everything. Here he's all-knowing. He knoweth their works. He's a, and then he's all-powerful. He's able to do something about it. It's amazing. It's the omniscience of God. And then the omnipotence of God, finally. He knows all, He sees all things. He knows all things. And He's able to do all things. Verse uh, 25, Therefore He knoweth their works, and He overturneth them in the night, suddenly and unexpectedly. When they least expect that God is going to do anything, that's when He comes. He overturneth them in the night so that they are destroyed. He striketh them as wicked men. He's able to chasten. He striketh or chasteneth them as wicked men. In, in the open sight of others, in the open day, in the marginal reference it says, in the place of beholders. In other words, people are going to see it. We better not have anything to hide, friends. <laughs> you won't get away with it, either here or in the hereafter. God is able to bring all works into light and into judgment. Remember in the days of David and the kings and those that sinned, he'd make them bring it right out into the light. They'd be disgraced before the whole uh, of the people because God knew what they were doing. Don't ever try to hide anything from God. That means confession and repentance on the part of most of us, doesn't it? That means staying right. Not only getting right, but staying right. You know, uh, preached Sunday on Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Remember, Enoch walked right on into heaven. Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years after he begat Methuselah. So Methuselah was a turning point. And one thing I didn't bring out uh, Sunday, you know, when you study a message like that, you want to preach about a hundred more things than you get out in a short time. But one thing about it, we said that Enoch walked with God in a very wicked time. But one thing I wanted to point out is that also Enoch walked with God and begat sons and daughters. That he was a family man. He didn't have to go off and, and to be a monk 
or to be be a hermit or something in order to say, well, if if I didn't have the problem of wife and children or family, I could live for God. That's not any problem at all. In fact, that's a blessing. It says, Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years, and he begat sons and daughters. So he was an ordinary family man. And family is very important to all of us. You just walk in this life along with those that are in your family and loved ones, and you should be able to be an encouragement to them and, and them to you. And when, you, when that gets out of kelter, when it gets out of harmony, somebody needs to harmonize in the walk with God again. And that's where our problems come. Families that walk with God don't have very much trouble. That's really true. Families that walk with God, they won't have very much trouble. And uh, you say, well, preacher, don't you have trouble? Not anything God can't handle. Not anything that the Lord can't direct us into uh, dealing with. And brother, that's the, that's the main uh, thing for us to get our, our priorities straight and realize that if we'll keep... Someone says, well, what about attending church on Wednesday nights? Don't you think we've only been here a part of the service? Fifteen minutes I've been talking. We have 30 minutes to go. Don't you think this in the short 15 minutes you've gotten a little bit of instruction of how to live and what to do from God's Word? And if people, uh, if they would realize that you just can't neglect that, that instruction that is needed constantly, Midweek service, very important. So let's go on here. He striketh them as wicked. That's verse 26. In, in the open sight of others. Remember, we can't hide anything, can we? In the open sight of others. Jesus talks about what's hid will be brought to light, doesn't he? That which is done in secret, shall be, it'll be shouted from the housetops. You, you can't hide yourself from God and you really don't need to try to hide from the public because people know what you are and who you are. And some of them may misjudge and you may be accused of things wrongly, but you have to take that in stride. That's human too. And uh, it's going to happen. A lot of people are prejudiced. They don't Prejudice is to prejudge. It means to judge before you have all the facts. And a lot of people judge situations by outward appearance instead of... Waiting to say, well, listen, let's find out if that's really true or how many other implications come into this same picture. And when you get all the facts, maybe things do not look like what they have, first of all, looked like to you. Maybe there's a different story behind there. And then it says, uh, and here's the reason. Look at verse 27. Because they turned back from him and would not consider all uh, any of his ways. The grounds of their punishment, in what respect they did not consider God or walking in God's ways. That's the amount of judgment. Look, look at that verse. Look at it again. It says, because they turned back from him and would not consider any of his ways. That's the extent of the judgment or the chastening that, that will come. When people disobey God's word and turn back from following God's ways, they have to suffer the consequences of it. It's just as simple as that. You know, God makes it so plain that even a fool can not err therein. He can find his way if he'll follow God's word. But the trouble is, people will not listen to the word of God. And if we learn to just listen, everything that God has said is important. Now, in verse uh, uh, 28, so that they caused the, 
the cry of the poor to come unto him. In other words, if people oppress the poor, they're going to have to answer to God. And he hears the cry of the afflicted. God is going to judge, isn't he? Verse 29, when he giveth quietness, who then can make make trouble? And when he hideth his face, who then can behold him? Look at that. When he giveth quietness. When God keeps quiet, he leaves men to perish. When he just holds back his instructions, his word, his voice, he'll leave them to their own. And it says, and when he hideth his face, who then can behold him? If God hides his face, you can't find him. You can't see him. If God is quiet, who then can uh, make trouble? And the last part of the verse says, whether it be done against a nation or against a man only. Against a nation or against a man only. Did you know God has a divine principle by which he deals with nations and with men? And I want you to turn the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18, if you will. Jeremiah, chapter 18. And there are several verses here, beginning with verse uh, 6. 6 through 10. That's the main passage, but let's go back and read uh, read a few more verses. Uh, let's begin reading with verse 1 and go through 10. It says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, this is Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel. We're a marred vessel. God says, I'm going to make you a new vessel. I'm going to make it over again. It'll be perfect. He doesn't throw it away. He doesn't just take you and I and chunk us away, does he? Or even the house of Israel. They had their faults. No lumps in the clay, you know. But he said, I'll make it again another vessel. And we've got the lumps in the clay too, you and I. But he said, I'm going to make it another vessel. Uh, as seemed good to the potter to make to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, now we're dealing with the principle, verses 6 through 10. O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have pronounced uh, turn from their evil... I uh, I will repent of the evil. In other words, I won't do it. I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation, concerning a kingdom, to build and to plant it. If if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. See, God says if you'll obey him, he won't bring the evil. And if you disobey him, he he will not bring the good. And back in our text, it says, whether it be done against a nation or against a man only, he has the same principle involved in, with individuals as well. You and I, at what, at what instant a person rebels against God and, and turns to his evil ways, God will withhold the blessing. At what uh, instant that man or woman or boy or girl repents of his sin and turns to God, he will bestow the good upon them and will not do evil. He will not bring judgment. You see, a lot of it depends upon how we respond to God's will and God's purpose. And he, He's told us what to do. We sing the song, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We'll learn to live a life of faith, trust, 
and obedience to the Word of God. It's, you know, obedience is one of the best things we can give the Lord uh, in all things. And we have His instructions here. You know, uh, if you remember old Saul, he told Samuel, he says, Oh, I've obeyed the commandments of God, the voice of God. And, he, and Samuel says, Well, what means then, then this bleeding of, of the sheep and the lowing of the ox? Because he was told to destroy all of that. And uh, Samuel says to obey is better than sacrifice. He says, I've, I've, Saul says, I've kept these to offer sacrifices to God. And Samuel says to obey is better than sacrifice. Never mind what you can give God. Just listen to him and obey. To obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And he says rebellion, now listen, is as the sin of witchcraft. It's like the sin of witchcraft. Someone disobeys God and they say, well, you know, I'm certainly, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't uh, go to the witches. I wouldn't participate in what we call witchcraft or wizardry or any of that. Uh, speaking, evoking uh, evil spirits and so on. They wouldn't do that. Well, he says rebellion is as. God compares it to that. You see, we don't see things the way God sees them. He looks upon these things that sometimes we just cast off as slight or immaterial, you know, disobey God here and there, and doesn't matter a whole lot. He says it's a sin of witchcraft. God's Word has a lot of instruction, doesn't it? It sure has a lot of it. Let's go on down with this. He says, whether it be done... Verse 30, uh, 29, against a nation or against a man only. You have another example in 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18, let's be, read verses 9 through 12. 9 through 12. 2 Kings 18, verse 9. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. Second Kings 18, verse 9, we just read. Verse 10. And at the end of three years they took it, even in the sixth year of Hezekiah, that, that is the ninth year of Hosea, king of uh, Israel. Samaria was taken. And the king of Assyria, and the king of Assyria, did carry away Israel unto Assyria, <clears throat> and put them in Hala, and in Haber, by the river of Gozan, in the cities of Medes. Now, I want you to look at the 12th verse. Because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, their God. Why did this happen? Why did God bring this? But transgressed his covenant, and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and would not hear them, nor do them. Obeyed not, would not hear them, or would not what? do them. There's a great blessing in obedience to God. Now, back in our lesson, always hold your place where we're studying. I've taught everyone to hold your place there because we'll pick up with the next verse. We don't skip any verses. We try not to. If it is, it's an oversight. It says in verse 30, that the hypocrite reign not lest the people be ensnared. Though Job was no hypocrite, Job, like all of us, had sinned. And all sorrow is proof of the common heritage of sin in which the godly suffer and the godly shares. See, all sorrow. You know, you and I have sorrow. We have sickness. We have trials. And it's just a proof of that common heritage that all of us have because of sin. 
If there had never been any sin, there had never been any sorrow. God said to the woman, In sorrow I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow they'll bring forth children. So we find that uh, all of us are inheritors of that. And we should regard anything, and Job wasn't a hypocrite as I said, but he was a sinner like you and I. And we should regard all of God's chastening as merciful correction. Whatever is happening in our lives, we look at it and we say, why does God bring this to me? Or why does God permit the devil to bring this to me? It's all for a purpose. It's all for a purpose. Remember Jesus told Peter, he said, Simon, listen, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have thee that he may sift thee as wheat. But when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. What did he say? He says, the devil wants to put you in his sifter. And what do you do when you sift the wheat? You get all the chaff and all the dirt and all the impurities out and nothing but pure grain. And when Simon got through the devil's sifter, he was nothing but pure gold, was he? Pure grain. Like the poem Brother Nichols read about the, the gold and how it was tried in the fire and all the, the dross and everything was, all the impurities were burned out, weren't they? Peter says, though now for a season, if need be, sometimes it needs to be, you're in manifold temptations, 1 Peter 1, verse 6. He says in verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, he says it might be found unto praise and honor and, and glory at the appearing of Christ, of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ. So when it's all said and done, it's going to be a gold tried in the fire. And you, you look at your life and you say, well, why do I have to undergo this? Or why did this happen to me? Or why is this suffering? Why is this loss? Why is this problem? Why is this sickness? Why is this bereavement? God works all things together for good to them that love God. I can look back in my life and see some losses, but I can see, and, and I can see some gains as well. Speaking of that, maybe I've got, I'll see if I've got it here in my Bible. I've got a few things written here. I've read it to you before. We talk about the crosses we bear. It says, God laid upon my back a grievous load, a heavy, heavy cross to bear along the road. I staggered on, and lo, one weary day, an angry lion sprang across my way. I prayed to God and swift at His command. The cross became a weapon in my hand. It slew the raging enemy and then became a cross upon my back again. I faltered many a league until at length, groaning I fell and had no further strength. O oh God, I cried, I am so weak and lame. Then straight my cross a winged staff became. It swept me till I regained the lost then leaped upon my back again across. I reached the desert, oh, the burning track. I persevered, the cross upon my back. No shade was there, and in the cruel sun I sank at last and thought my days were done. But, oh, the Lord works many a blessed surprise. The cross became a tree before my eyes. I slept, I woke to feel the strength of ten. I found the cross upon my back again. Thus through all my days from that to this, the cross, my burden, has become my bliss. 
nor ever shall I lay the burden down, for God someday will make the cross a crown. So the crosses we bear sometimes are for our good. Back in Job 34, verse 32. Surely it is meet to be said unto God, I have borne chastisement. I will not offend anymore. In other words, God deserves us to say it is meet that we have borne the chastisement that he sent. See what he's saying? It is meet. In other words, we have it coming, really. Surely it is meet to be said unto God, I have borne chastisement. I will not offend anymore. I'll repent. I'm humbled. That which I see not, teach thou me. If I don't understand it, show it to me. I don't understand it, show it to me. If I have done iniquity, I will do it no more. See, willing to walk right and do right. Should it be according to my, thy mind, he will recompense it, whether thou refuse or whether thou choose, and not I. Therefore speak what thou knowest. Let men of understanding tell me. Let a wise man hearken to me. Job has spoken without knowledge, and his words were without wisdom. In other words, he charged God with injustice. Uh, Elihu is taking a little lighter accusation to Job in that he's dealing only with one thing, and that is that he wants Job to consider that he does not have any right to reply against God. The others accuse Job of getting less than he deserves. But Elihu is saying, he says, My desire that Job may be tried unto the end because of his answers for wicked men, for he addeth rebellion unto his sin. He clappeth his hands among us and multiplieth his words against God. He charges God with injustice all the while. And that was really his problem. That was Job's main problem. It wasn't that Job was an awful sinner. It wasn't that he certainly was not a hypocrite. He wasn't guilty of anything that his three friends previous had accused him of being. Remember, we told you the voice of, of tradition, the voice of experience, and the voice of legalism. Uh, Zophar and Bildad and... Uh, and uh, Eliphaz, all of these three had a certain voice that they fell in line with. One of them was the voice of legalism, which I consider about as bad as any of them. Because when you say that, well, this guy's got problems, but he doesn't have what he, half as much as he deserves, you're being legalistic and you're saying, you're looking at his out, the outside of this fellow and you're saying, I'm entering to, into judgment upon him because I know he deserves more than this which may or may not be true. But if it is true, God can take care of it. If he needs less or more, God's the one that's in the control of it, isn't he? We can be thankful that, as the psalmist said, he hath not dealt with us after our iniquities, or after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. You read Psalm, look at Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verse 10. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Aren't you thankful he hasn't? Well, we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? It says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west. That's pretty far, isn't it? So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. You think if God's removed your sins, transgressions, as far as the east is from the west, how are you going to catch up with them? How's anyone going to catch up with them? 
We say east is east and west is west and never the twain shall meet. You can start going around the globe. You get on the equator and you just go around east, east, east and you can go from now throughout eternity because God made it so. And you can do the same thing as west. You never catch, never reach a point to where you're not traveling that direction if you go in east or west. You can go north and you get to the North Pole. You can go south and you get to the South Pole. God didn't say as far as the north is from the south so far he's removed our transgressions from us. Did he? Because we say, oh, oh boy, some fellow attempt to get up there in spite of how cold it is or in the other direction either, south. So, and they have, haven't they? They catch up with them. And we could even through endeavor and through all the uh, ways that, and means that men have, we might finally reach them ourselves. But nobody's able to reach them from the east to the west. And he says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. God knows he's dealing with human beings. He made us, didn't he? He knows none of us are very strong. He knows, he knows that not any of us are beyond the weaknesses that are common to man. I said we wouldn't skip any. Where were we? Job 34. Uh, we got down to the last part of verse uh, 37, didn't we? Now then, chapter 35. Have I got into that yet? I haven't, have I? Okay, good. Elihu spake moreover, verse 1, and said, Thinkest thou this to be right, that thou saidest, My righteousness is more than God's? That's not right to say my righteousness is more than God's, is it? For thou saidest, what advantage will it be unto thee? And what profit shall I have if I be cleansed from my sin? Remember the 73rd Psalm where the psalmist says, I have cleansed my hands in vain. And he says, I'm chasing. He says, what good? The psalmist in 73 says, what good has it done me? I, verily, I have cleansed my hands in vain. God has prospered the wicked. He says, God keeps blessing the wicked. And he says, as for me, I'm chastened all the day long and I have all these problems. He says, I've, I've accepted the Lord. I've been saved and it hasn't done me any good. I'm trying to live for God and I've cleansed my hands in vain. And on down the middle of that psalm, and we've given it to you time and time again. It doesn't hurt to repeat. Repetition is the art of learning. Down the middle of that psalm, he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, got into God's presence, then understood I therein. The wicked only prospered for a time. He says, God is going to bring them into judgment. And he says, my feet uh, are not on slippery ground at all. He says, surely thou didst set them in slippery places. And I thought I was. You see, you begin to see things in God's light once you get there. So, back in Job 35, verse 3. What profit shall I have if I be cleansed from my sin? I will answer thee and thy companions with thee. Look unto the heavens and see and behold the clouds which are higher than thou. You cannot reach the clouds or you cannot see into the heavens with a clear eye and with a natural eye. We look up there and we see the sun and the moon and the stars and they take these great powerful telescopes and they see things that we've never seen with a natural eye. And then it's beyond their comprehension, too. They said, oh, I wish we had a bigger one. Remember that one they sent out in space and they thought they was going to figure out everything in the whole universe? Found out they just saw a little speck of it. Got that great, big, huge, expensive, 
billion dollar thing up in the air, out in space, and they saw a little more. You know, even with our, in our own galaxy, we we do not know all that's in the heavens. Job's going to expound. God's word's going to expound on that as we continue uh, in our teaching. We don't. We can't reach up into the heavens. God is higher than all of us, isn't he? <laughs> the psalmist said in one place, "Lead me to the rock that is higher than I." Heaven is high, but God is higher than all heavens. He's the great creator of all this great universe, and we only see a speck of it with a natural eye. And the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. It says there's no place, no land where their voice is not heard. God's universal language to all men. I believe that's Psalm 19. All right, let's go on with this. It says in verse uh, 4, I mean verse uh, 6, If thou sinnest, what doest thou against him? Or if thy transgression be multiplied, what doest thou unto him? If thou be righteous, what givest thou him? Or what receiveth he of thine hand? Thy wickedness may hurt a man as thou art, and thy righteousness may profit the son of man. By reason of the multitude of oppressions, they make the oppressed to cry. They cry out by reason of the arm of the mighty. But none saith, Where is God, my Maker, who giveth songs in the night? Of all the oppression, all the troubles, all the problems, who giveth songs in the night? This is of joy, songs of joy, of deliverance. In the night seasons when everything seems to be going wrong, or in the night of our lives, or when problems and trials come, who can give you a song in the midst of all that? No one but the Lord. He can put a song in your heart in the middle of all bereavements, all troubles, all trials. He can put a song in your heart. And He does. Time and time again. He makes us to sing when there's no singing. Well, I don't mean that any one of us can sing. I'm kind of ashamed of my singing a lot of times. But one of these days when we all get to heaven, we'll be able to sing in melody and harmony. In Revelation chapter 5, they sang a new song. It was a song of redemption, wasn't it? All right, let's go on with this. It says in verse uh, uh, 11, Who teacheth us more than the beasts of the earth, and maketh us wiser than the fowls of heaven. Man's spirit distinguishes him from the beasts and the fowls. And man, therefore, is teachable. Man is teachable. Who teacheth us more than the beasts of the earth. Man has a Man's spirit has a teachable spirit. And when that's yielded to God's Holy Spirit and God's Word... It can become very knowledgeable and understanding the things of God. But it has to be of God. The Bible says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. When you were saved, God gave you the Holy Spirit. And by that Holy Spirit that dwells in you, He has made you teachable. And He's made you to understand things that the world or the natural man, the person that's never been converted, cannot understand. Some of the things we taught tonight, the world does not understand. We've been up here trying to expound God's Word, but the world would have nothing to do with the 90% of it. I was invited to, well, I'll leave that. <clears throat> Just today, a place in town for some spiritual exercise that I decided not to. I've learned to say no pretty good in my lifetime. And sometimes it's better to learn to say that right off, in, early in life. You just learn to say it. 